Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're so grateful that you're here today. If you're new, um, we like to get it out up front and early that we are not religionless, and this show is not religionless. We're very Christian folks, and this show is quite Christian, but it's more specifically the world and this nation that's a very religionless, very secular place, and that at least in part is where the name of the show comes from. So how can we live a life that's pleasing to God in this religionless world? Um, That's what we're going to be trying to help you with today by looking at stories from the news. Um, And I think we got some good ones. So for the show today, um, as we look at our news topics, we're going to look at Donald Trump's win in Iowa. And um, then we will discuss recent news regarding the vile enterprise of Pornhub. Uh, We'll also discuss eight reasons why young people are walking away from their faith. And then after the news section, as we get into our Bible topic, um, we're going to end kind of with two Bible topics. The main one will be getting back to Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. So for those of you that have been with us for a while, we've been making our way through that book. We're nearing the end of it, but we want to finish it because I think it's important. Uh, And then we will touch on our new Bible topic that's we're going, you know, going to take us throughout this entire year uh, on eschatology. So we'll have kind of two Bible topics at the end of the show as well. We got a bunch to get to today. I think it's going to be a great show as long as I don't blow it in the process. We'll see. Um, but before we get to everything, do you have any thoughts, any prayer requests, any praise mm. reports, anything of that sort? Uh, yeah, pray that... Um, well, I took the boys to do, go do their first driving portion of driver's ed and, you know, I leave at like 7.30 in the morning, crazy traffic on the highway. And so that was just stressful. Anyway, we get there and nobody showed up. Nobody's there. Um, that was very frustrating. Hung out there for a while, called, emailed, nothing uh, still haven't heard a reply back from them. I don't know. I don't know what to do. And I go online to like, see if I can book another time. All the time slots just are gone. <laughs> so, and this place actually does have really bad reviews. So, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, just pray that we get our boys the driving they need. So that we'll they just can... do it ourselves. No, it's they need the practice. You mentioned I mean, that these people that have to be hired to be the driving instructors, they require you to have a bachelor's degree to be a driving instructor. So why would that be important? Uh, either way. Yeah. So <sighs> pray for Nikki's sanity there. We'd appreciate it. I would appreciate it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but then also, uh, I just want to pray, not necessarily for me, but just a reminder to be praying for persecuted and suffering Christians around the world. You know, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 instructs us to remember the prisoners as though we were prisoners with them um, and those who are mistreated. And it says, since you, uh, since you yourselves are also in the body, uh, so we should remember the persecuted Christians. And, you know, there's Christian brothers and sisters suffering under, you know, different levels and forms of persecution all around the world. I saw this article 80 Christians die after being displaced by violence in, I think it's Manipur. And, 
you know, while they weren't necessarily the direct um, intended sort of um, people that they were Target. trying to target with this um, persecution, you know, they were displaced from their homes due to violence, due to, you know, whatever is going on in their country. Um, so it's certainly suffering nonetheless. So pray for these people, pray for them and others like them. And, uh, you know, I think that should be a regular part of our prayer life, you know, whether it's daily or weekly. Um, I know that was something I always appreciated at our last church. Pastor made it a point every Sunday to pray for the persecuted Christians mm -hmm. around the world. And it's always a good reminder for us. So we want to remind you, um, your brothers and sisters in Christ are suffering all around the world. And even though we got it pretty good here in America, this is not the norm. So pray for them. And um, also, it's a good opportunity for me to remind you of Cardinal Contingency Solutions. It's been a while since I've reminded you of them, but uh, these people and others like them, they need the gospel, but you don't have to go there just blind and unprepared. Cardinal, they can get your team, your church, your ministry prepared for the difficulties that you might face, like a nation in turmoil, like Manipur, um, how your missionaries can handle themselves and be prepared to keep themselves safe and still share the gospel. Cardinal can get you ready for that. So uh, links will be in the show notes. Go reach out to them. I'm sure you'll be pleased with their service. So, all right, let's get into our news topics here. And um, to start our look at the news, um, we will start with the be all and end all of American news, which is, of course, Donald Trump. Uh, we're all slaves to two things that sin in Donald Trump in America, it seems like. You can't get away from it. Uh, so we'll get this news out of the way up front and early. Um, Donald Trump won the Iowa caucus this week. And if you're watching the video, we got a map there. Um, he won by a pretty overwhelming majority. He got 51% of the vote. And Ron DeSantis finished second. And Nikki Haley finished third. Yeah, and Donald Trump, if you're looking at the map, he won every single county in Iowa except one. Wow. Which I think Nikki Haley won. Um, hmm. What I do think is interesting, if you guys are looking at this, if not, I'll have links to this um, site that we're looking at down in the show notes. Um, it gives, you know, the totals of all the people who are running. And Ryan Brinkley a guy that probably only our podcast has ever covered in the presidential race. If you remember, he was the pastor that was running for president, I think from Texas, maybe. He received 739 more votes than Chris Christie. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, not a good showing for Chris Christie there. Um, so that's something interesting, I suppose. Uh, and he received more votes than Asa Hutchinson, which is good. So, um, but obviously a bit of a bummer for Nikki and I, you know, we've made it known on this show that we would prefer Ron DeSantis to be the nominee, but seems like Iowa has spoken um, pretty yeah. loudly there. DeSantis was next after Trump. So, yeah. And it's important to know, like they like DeSantis and Nikki Haley both earned delegates in this process. So it's not like they got nothing for their race in Iowa. Trump didn't show up to anything. <laughs> and no. Yeah. Um and obviously, you know, people were questioning whether that was the right decision to make or not. Appears to be the right decision. He was obviously 
know, there were kind of two Republican primaries. Donald Trump was just running his own, seemed to have been doing pretty well, and everyone else was fighting. And I, you know, we talked about this at the time when this first kicked off that really there were only two people running for president. It was Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Everybody else was running for Donald Trump's vice president. And some of that played out because as soon as Iowa was done, I think Vivek Ramaswamy basically bowed out and then went and like um, lauded Donald <coughs> lauded Donald Trump. So, you know, at least seemed to be right in one case there with Vivek Ramaswamy. But, you know, Donald Trump won, and I can't help but believe that that means he's probably going to clearly win the Republican nomination. It's not over yet, right? But I think really like Ron DeSantis had basically his best shot at winning a state was Iowa. You know, he'll probably win Florida, I would assume, mm -hmm. um, because that's the state he governs. But really, he put kind of all of his chips into the Iowa basket. So if he couldn't beat Trump there, and Iowa's mm -hmm. a very conservative state, uh, you know, probably going to be, in my opinion, clean sailing for Trump from here on out. We'll see. Uh, Nikki Haley's kind of put all of her chips into New Hampshire, which is the next state to vote. So we'll see how that turns uh, turns out there. But America, it seems, is not ready to move on from Donald Trump. So we're going to have yet another aging boomer versus aging boomer showdown for the presidency. Uh, and that at least is part of the bummer for us. You know, not that we're necessarily upset that Donald Trump would run for president. I think he was a good president in many respects. I think he was a bad president in other respects, but not upset necessarily. I just think that we had a better option. We had maybe the best option in my lifetime with Ron DeSantis and you know, really conservative America, in our opinion, kind of had the chance to turn the page right. and kind of build on a new brand, a younger brand. You know, Donald Trump is 80 years old, nearly. Um, we kind of had the chance to set ourselves up for the future with Ron DeSantis or Vivek, right, if you even went that way. But instead, it seemed like conservative America kind of just wanted the vengeance, because mm -hmm. um, that's really the main reason I feel like right. when I hear of people wanting to vote for Donald Trump. I thought about this. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I did Air Force recruiting for a couple of years. And one of the things I used to always joke about is, you know, you could recruit against the Army or the Navy, you mm -hmm. know, because the young men or women that wanted to join there, you know, there were reasons why they wanted to join. And you might be able to give them something or sell them on something for the Air Force and bring them over. But you could never really outsell the Marines because what they were offering and what the people that wanted was the Marines. Like they didn't want, like you would talk, you know, this was my experience, right? And it could be different elsewhere, but I would talk to Marine recruits and like, why do you want to be a Marine? I want to be a Marine. You're like, okay, cool. But like, what do you want to do? I want to be a Marine. <laughs> like, hmm. all right, well, I can't offer you that in the Air Force. So like you just couldn't re out recruit them uh, because what they wanted was the Marines. And I feel like it's kind of that way with Donald Trump. Like hmm. there are people that like Trump for policy, of course, but I feel like a lot of people... Like, why do you want to vote for Trump? Like, I want to vote for Trump. Okay, but what is it about Trump that you like? It's Trump. <laughs> like, all right, well, Ron DeSantis isn't Trump. Well, then I don't want him. Like, all right, nothing I can do here. So at least that's kind of the sense that I got. And, um, you know, a bit of a bummer there. So, um, yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. 
you know, the boomer generation we've kind of mentioned on this show, I think is saddled this nation under certain judgment from God. Probably one of the worst generations in American history. Not that there aren't good ones, but the boomer generation has brought us a lot of sin and heartache. I agree. And, uh, you know, here's another example of it, right? These boomers just seem hell-bent on dying on their thrones. Like, they just refuse to give up power, refuse to let the next generation lead. You know, we got Trump, Biden, Schumer, McConnell, Pelosi, like our Supreme Court. They're just aging, like self-serving boomers as far as the eye can see. (laughs) Um, And it's too bad. But that's all the time we want to spend on Trump today because I think we got better and more impactful stories for Christians. So let's Mm -hmm. just keep this thing going. Um, And because Nikki does not care much for politics. So I'll let her off the hook. I care. I just, you just keep going in circles, talking the same stuff, it seems. (laughs) But this time it'll be different. This time (laughs) it'll be different. All right. Before I get to our next story, though. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. Happy to be there. It's a great place to go find 60-ish Christian sort of indie podcasts covering a whole host of different topics uh, from movie reviews, like cryptocurrency, theology, um, all different sorts of things, live shows, call-in shows, pretty much whatever you're looking for, we got it. So Links to the Christian podcast community will be down in the show notes. Go check that out. Subscribe, follow, and I'm sure you'll be blessed. All right, but back to the news. Do you want to read this verse? I put this verse down just as a starter, but Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. says, do not participate in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead even expose them. Yes, that is what we mm-hmm. should all be doing, not, not participating. Fun. It's kind of like you don't want to talk about it sometimes. Like it's just so dark. It's like maybe it's just more for me. Well, no, I'm and like, it is a bit Ugh. of a, you know, conundrum there, right? Because Paul also tells us to f- like focus our minds on the heavenly things, the beautiful things, right? But then also go and expose the darkness. Uh, yeah. So, but I think, you know, maybe the more you focus on the heavenly and the beautiful then mm-hmm. you're more apt to see and discern the darkness. Um, but we should point it out, right? Because people in this world need to know, and that's yeah. what we're going to be doing today. Um, well, we didn't necessarily do it, but it was exposed, and we're going to be discussing who did it. Uh, who was it that exposed Pornhub? And Pornhub has thankfully had a pretty rough go uh, lately. They're being taken to court, sued in class action lawsuits, and uh, all sorts of stuff. And now we have this um, exposing coming. So, um, you know, Pornhub, they're a working of darkness. Uh, They're led by children of darkness, and they should be exposed. So do you want to read this headline, honey? Let me just pull it up here. All right. Investigative journalist discovers a shocking truth about Pornhub. Yep. And... We aren't going to cover the entire interview. It's about a 50-minute interview on the Allie Beth Stuckey podcast, Relatable. Uh, Really good, though. I encourage you guys to go give this a listen. Um, But I just want to play a few clips for you guys just for our discussion today uh, because this woman, as you can see on the screen here, her name is Arden Young. Um, 
she went undercover with a few senior level employees at Pornhub. And it's pretty just fascinating before I get to the clips, you know, what she talks about, she did like some of them, she literally just like reached out to them and like asked them questions and just like more than happy to explain the, you know, despicable, unethical practices that they employ. But then one of them, and she'll, we'll play the clip from a guy named Mike Farley. Uh, she, I guess like just sort of maybe by divine providence stumbled on him. She was, you know, looking to find these people. She found him, I guess on like Tinder or something to that, some sort of dating app. And she talks about, he just mentioned that he was in tech, but she was like, I really think this might be someone I'm looking for. And she basically just like asked him a question and he's like, yeah, I'm the lead product manager for Pornhub. And then she like swiped right. And he accepted a date and she like went on two dates with him. And he just like divulged all the information. Um, Like, it's amazing how, you know, they've probably been in this despicable world of darkness for so long that it just seems normal. Why would he openly discuss, not just lie about where you work? Like, that's kind of even shameful to say. Well, I guess in a sense, right? Because you're on Tinder and maybe your profile's there. And if somebody swipes right, then you're like, cool, they're down with this. All right. So like, now it's just a common conversation. I exploit minors for money. What do you want for dinner, right? Like, so let's go ahead and play this first clip and then we'll discuss it. Do you think porn is addictive? I think so. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, 180 million unique visitors a day is a lot. Even like Jordan Peterson, I know that he says like the... There's not many studies on it. There's not a lot of like, we don't really know the implications of this. But I can't be normal. I can't be healthy. I can't be like, that must do something. Because that's like significant. Is this poor home worried about ethics? Uh, not really. I don't think it's worried about ethics. It's a adult website. So for those of you on the podcast, you might have had a bit of a hard time hearing that, but she kind of goes about asking him if porn is addictive, you know, because she talks about one of the things they'll say is they have, you know, their science back studies that porn can't be an addiction, you know, all these sorts of things. So so she asked the lead product manager at Pornhub and he's like, oh yeah, like it has to be addictive. And he makes note that there's 180 million unique visitors to Pornhub a day, which is staggering. That's just one of like 40 million porn websites on the planet. Um, So, Hmm. you know, the Pornhub employees, senior level employees are admitting that porn is addictive and also unethical, right? She asked him if porn is ethical or whatever. And he's like, no, it's a adult. uh, I can't think of the word adult website, basically like, it's inherently unethical, mm-hmm. um, which is funny because she does go on later in this interview, if you listen to it all, where she talks about she's being, um, I think, sued now or taken to court by Pornhub's lawyers for exposing this. And one of the things that the lawyers brought up was that what she did to them, like this undercover journalism, was unethical. And she's oh like, my gosh. are you kidding me? Like, you guys are exploiting minors for money, but you're worried about the ethics of my journalism? Like... 
you know, wow. let's look in the mirror a little bit, right? So, <laughs> but I encourage you guys to watch the video because I think it's important to see what demonic people look like in our world. You know, you have to, I think, hate the way that these people just kind of cavalierly, right? Just out to dinner, you know, on a first date discussing the lives and the families that they've ruined with this porn addiction. Well, it kind of goes with our Bible topic. One of the things it discusses is just this openly sinning, like no shame, sinning yeah. with a high hand is how it's worded. And I would certainly consider this sinning with a high hand. And yeah. you know, that's a obviously a more biblical and smart way to say it. I've always considered it the difference between being a like between sinning and being a sinner. Mm -hmm. Like and we're all sinners in a sense, but like someone who mm -hmm. lives in sin makes their living from sin. Well, I guess revels in sin. Those whereas who are blind and the pride is what blinds people to yeah, confessing sure to even this guy makes seeing a lot it. of money. But like here we have this guy, Mike Farley, right? The lead product manager for Pornhub. Like just a cavalier conversation with a girl he just met. You know, hey, my name's Mike. I work for the Dark Lord. I'm one of his children. Like do you want appetizers? <laughs> like what a weird world to live in. I would feel nervous like for my life if I was ever like going on a a date with a guy well, and like, she made, who works there. Uh, mentioned, I didn't watch it all. And she said, you know, to, I guess, Mike Farley's credit, if you want to give him credit for being a child of Satan. But she said he was a fine person to be on a date with. But she did mention that on some of the other dates, because she is married, that her husband would go and like sort of sit off in oh, the good. distance and watch and make sure she was safe. Wow. Stuff like that. But like, this is wicked. Um, these are Satan's children. And I think it's interesting to see them because they look normal, right? If you saw Mike Farley going down the street, seems like a normal dude, has a normal conversation, might even look like a cool dude. He works in tech, probably makes a lot of money, uh, all these sorts of things. They look normal, but their souls are dark and their victims are many. What 180 city? million unique, unique visitors a day that he's ravaging their souls um, with his product. And they're in Canada somewhere that she's meeting him. So okay. I don't know what city in Canada, but uh, so this uh, journalist, Arden Young, she mentions that this Mike Farley character, he worked at Pornhub at a senior level for 11 years. So just right, consider the lives that he has contributed to ruining 11 years, 180 million unique visitors a day. And that's just at his website, Pornhub. And well, and in fact, he works for MindGeek, which is like the parent company of Pornhub, which I believe owns other websites besides Pornhub. So he may be uh, contributing to far more than just 180 million a day. So pretty mm -hmm. devastating stuff. But this is kind of like when we, you know, months and months ago when we would go through kind of the the doctors, if you want to call them that, that would do like the gender affirmation surgery and they're smiling and dancing mm -hmm. on screen. And you're like, these are demonic people this is what they it look is. like and you wouldn't expect it right there's no horns right they're not all you know disfigured they there's look no happy and shame they're prosperous or sin like that like there's no yeah. they won't stop that's what's kind of so disturbing about it is that like there's no length they wouldn't go to they have no no shame no they have none at all um so let's play this next clip here from the Allie Beth Stuckey show. 
Is that basically what you asked? The the question I posed to them was, hey, I'm new at this. Um, I have a bunch of videos just plopped in my lap to upload, but these girls look super young. What's the process? And they go, well, we'll deem what's underage. We have our processes. Um, but if we do deem something underage, your account is not likely to be suspended. And then we also asked, do you report to law enforcement? And they said no. So, again, if you're on the podcast and you had a hard time hearing it, um, she talks about how she posed as an ad agency and called um, Pornhub or whatever and asked about placing ads and made the case that, like, you know, I have all these videos. I'm new at this, but, like, man, these girls look super young. And Pornhub's response to her was, well, just send them over to us anyways. We'll determine if the girls are underage or not. And even if they are, we won't inform the police. That's their high ethical standards, right, that they're holding this journalist to, right, because they're holding her accountable for her unethical practices. They're saying, send us your kitty porn. We'll determine it uh, if it's actually kitty porn. And even if it is, we're not going to tell anybody. You're off the hook. Are they saying they'll accept it still? I don't know. Well, they will... Well, and that's essentially what she's saying just in saying this interview. And her, what she though, exposes is that, yeah, in a lot of respects, they will accept it. So this is a company here completely comfortable platforming underage sex acts. And because that's what she's exposing during this interview and in this investigative journalism is that a lot of the stuff, not maybe not a lot, maybe not the majority, but enough of it that they platform that's on Pornhub is underage girls. Uh, because they, and this is what she finds in here, they really have no way of verifying the age of a person. Um, right. And then there's also the rape cases um, that are platformed on here. There's um, videos of people that are put on the platform without their consent. Um, and they're just completely fine with that. Um, but here she's talking about the underage girls. And it's just kind of funny because you just look at the person. Okay, you can't go in buy alcohol, they'll card you if you look under 40. Why don't they just do that at least? You look well, under 40, we're going to say you're a child. <laughs> and we'll get into this later, but it's because of money. And one of the things she makes mention of in here is that the most popular ad, uh, I guess, that runs on Pornhub or the most popular actor is like a guy, I suppose he's probably of age, but she said he's he looks 15 a young boy. And she said, that's the most popular um, advertiser on Pornhub. And Allie was like, that's weird that a young boy and she's like, well, it's because of pedophiles, that the pedophiles like the young boys. And she made the note that one of the senior level executives, uh, or whatever pointed out to her that it's easy to turn pedophiles into whales, which are people that will spend a ton of money on their website. So they feed them these super young looking. And I think she even makes notes that the most popular sort of uh, group or tag or whatever that people look up on Pornhub is teens. And she's like, why do you even have a section called teens? Like, well, they're for 18 and 19 year olds. And like, no, no, they're not. The idea is that they're younger. That's what they're trying to get them to look like. Um, the women might be over 18, but they want them to look under 18 because for pedophiles. Um, 
turn them into whales. So, but not only, right, are they comfortable platforming underage sex acts, right? That's what they tell them. Well, we'll deem if it's appropriate. And she exposes that they're comfortable with platforming it. But they're also apparently very comfortable with viewing child porn themselves because their response to her was, well, you got underage porn. Just send it to us. We'll take a look at it and we'll let you know if it's legit or not. Uh, like, so you're probably taking a look at a whole bunch that isn't legit. That young kids, you're just comfortable staring at child porn. And then don't worry, we're not going to report any of this to the police. This interview to me should be enough for law enforcement to raid every one of their houses. I know. Because these guys are basically saying, and raid their company, right? And throw them all in prison because they obviously have access to tons of child porn that they're explaining on here. We will look at it. And we won't tell anybody about it. They should raid them and throw them all in prison if it was my, uh, if I was in charge for the day. Uh, these are demonic people. Uh, they're willing to profit off the exploitation of minors. And in many respects, they're the very reason for the exploitation of minors, right? Because people can make these videos, sex acts with underage kids, knowing that people want to watch this because they're depraved. And upload it with or without these people's consent. Pornhub will run advertising on there and pay you a nice healthy profit. So why wouldn't you do it if you have no um, no morals, no ethics at all? Um, if money is your god, then why they're they're giving you a reason to exploit these kids? Um, so a good takeaway from this is if you are on Pornhub, please don't be on there. But if you are, and the guy or girl looks young, you should feel very comfortable with the fact that you are probably looking at child porn. Um, they probably are in fact young. They are probably in fact underage. Um, and that hopefully will lead you to feel waves of sorrow, shame, guilt, sickness, uh, because you are advancing Satan's kingdom in the world. That's the way you should feel about it. And it should bring you to your knees in sorrow, hopefully. Um, I don't know. I'm just disturbed thinking just how dark people's souls are. That many viewers a day. And that's just that website. Yeah. And the number one thing they're looking for is underage kids. Um, they call them teens, of course, but they know what they're looking for. Um, it makes me feel so uneasy. Just now I'm like paranoid going out in public. Yeah. You walk by pedophiles every day. Well, and that's the way we should consider it, right? Like, Ugh. it's not very uncommon anymore to hear people sort of casually. Um, I mean, I'm in the military, so this is not uncommon to hear people casually talk about watching porn. And when you hear them say that, you should have the mindset that like, oh, you watch child porn. You're a pedoph pedophilic? Is that what you call them? I don't know. Either way, that's how we should view them, right? Like, oh, you were on that website? Cool, you were looking at child porn. That's disgusting. Um, and the girl even makes the point in here that, or I think Allie Beth Stuckey makes it, is that this should be stigmatized. Stigmas exist for a reason. And people who go to porn sites like this that are knowingly watching child porn, they should have a stigma on them. Like, we should recoil when we see these people. Mm -hmm. Like, when you see Mike Farley... You shouldn't just be like, oh, you work for MindGeek, huh? Huh. It should be like, 
you know, clutch your pearls, grab your kids and run away um, because they are servants of the Dark Lord. That is the way we should stigmatize these people um, because it's repulsive. So two more clips here. Let's listen to this next one. Basically saying that. It's hard because how do you get somebody to prove that they're above age because if they can get a fake ID. Do you think there's like videos of underage still getting through? You don't know who that is. We don't have consent of that person and we're running as like as a business. We're monetizing content that we don't know where this comes from. We don't know who's on that video. We don't know the age of the person on the video. This used to happen all the time, but we would never just, we would just say nothing about it, right? We'd just be like, okay, whatever. It's like something that you just shut up. Like, just don't say nothing. Like, just be quiet. So there again is Mike Farley, and he's basically saying that, yeah, underage kids still get through. Um, because this is what they basically got taken to court for, is that, you know, they were platforming minors. So they were like, well, we're going to clean it up. We're going to clean it up. And then she's basically asked him, like, have you guys cleaned it up? And he's like, nah, not really. And she talks on here about how you can't really clean this up, right? Because what they want and how they're cleaning this up is uh, ID. You need, um, like, ID for the people uploading the material. And then I think they even need ID now for everybody in the videos that are uploaded. But the girl makes the point here, like, there's a lot of videos where faces aren't shown hmm. of the people in the video. So how can you have an ID verifying who somebody is when the face isn't shown? Or even, right, we've seen IDs. Like, how easily would it be to just have a fake ID? And even that, you could get a fake ID, upload it to Pornhub. And there, he's obviously telling you that, like, yeah, we ain't going to check that hard. Like, just give us anything um, that makes it look even remotely legit, and we're fine with it. We're not going to – because that's what he says, like – we're just going to shut up. We're just not going to pay attention to it. We're not going to focus on it. Just ignore it. So, right, there's underage porn is coming through to Pornhub, and they don't care. And, um, of course, they don't care, right? Because this would betray their entire worldview if mm -hmm. they cared. If right. they had any morals or standards whatsoever, it would betray their worldview. But you should care, um, especially if you consider yourself a Christian. You should care because your soul is at stake. Um because if you're working with Pornhub to advance Satan's kingdom in this world, <laughs> you should care. Um, because you're likely on your way to meet him. If that's what if you're working to advance his kingdom, you're likely on your way to meet him. Um, and not only are you advancing Satan's kingdom in the world, you're simultaneously destroying people's lives. Um, because these are children that this whole investigation is about. They're talking about children who are being exploited, taken advantage of, or in some instances, raped, um, sex trafficked, and you're signing off on that all so that you can satisfy a depraved sexual desire? Like, you want that on your resume before you stand in front of Christ? I wouldn't want it on mine. Um, but that's the way we should view it, right? And I don't think we do that. We don't view... We don't look at it the way we should, that we are advancing Satan's kingdom in the world. Um, every time you log on, every time you peruse through their wares on Pornhub, you're advancing Satan's kingdom in the world. Uh, that's the way you should view what you're doing. Um, and it's devastating. So I got one last clip here that I want to play. Now, this is sought too. 
How are you gonna tell me like who's in that video of the girls not showing her face? Like that wouldn't hold in court. That would be the loophole that I always like. I look at that and I'm like, that's stupid. But everybody is just kind of rolling with it. Why do they just roll with it? Why don't they say something? Cost money. Who exploits the loophole? Everyone. You make a lot of money. Do you rapists use it or? Of course. Of course. We've brought it up to the CPO, we've brought it up to the CLO, and they're both telling us it's all good. And the CPO is especially telling us, like, it's all good, like, stop it. So they know the like, risk. Sh like, shut up. So, um... Again, for those of you listening on the podcast, that's Mike Farley again, um, basically explaining that they know the loopholes exist. Again, like we were talking about, he makes mention in there that how could we possibly verify somebody off an ID when a lot of times they don't even show their face? Like, it's a loophole. But then again, he tries to white knight it and like, oh, I brought it up to the CPO. I brought it up to the COO and they tell me not to worry about it. So first off, he's most likely lying, right? Because he's a child of Satan. So why wouldn't he lie? Um, but secondly, right, like Pornhub, MindGeeks, senior level management, they know and are proud of this loophole that exists because in the declining West where we find ourselves, the younger, the better, I suppose. As we mentioned before, uh, they can turn pedophiles into whales, and that's a whole bunch of money. But then she also brings up in this interview how... Um, you know, in order for Pornhub to fix this, it basically costs money for them to lose money, which is why they won't do it, right? Because it costs them money to um, find new ways or strategies to fix these loopholes and close them. But then once they close them, they're losing on a, out on a huge pot of money from those pedophiles. So it costs Pornhub money to lose money. And they're like, yeah, we ain't doing that, right? Because money's their God. And that's what they're going to worship. That's what they're going to, you know, advocate and fight for. Underage kids, uh, which we would call children, um, because that's who they are. They're not necessarily just underage. They're children. They are the money makers in this lost and dying world. Um, and Pornhub is fine with exploiting them. Uh, apparently more than fine with it, even at senior levels of leadership. And uh, everybody knows what's going on. Everybody does. Um, and, you know, I think if we were a more just and righteous society, we'd be hanging millstones around these people's necks and uh, tossing them into deep lakes because uh, they're wicked people. They're destroying lives. They're advancing Satan's kingdom in the world. And they're more than happy to do it. Just because they're a, a company, nobody does anything about it. But if you came across a person, you would probably kill them. If you knew a person who was actually involved, you know, the one recording and sending in these videos, you would take down people individually on your own. Like, right. I mean. You would do whatever to protect children. Yeah. If somebody was raping a kid in, you know, the room next to you and you busted in there and saw it and beat the dude to <laughs> pulp, right? You would be lauded as a hero. Um, right. Remember, we did that story. I mean, it was it's years and years old now, but the two officers from the army that had overheard or they came into, I guess, knowledge that like one of the chief police officers in Afghanistan was raping this young boy um, every night. I guess they confronted the guy and he still didn't stop. And then one day they just basically broke in on the 
the chief police officer that was raping the boy and kind of beat him to a pulp. And the army wanted to discharge him, all that sort of stuff. And I think one of them wound up basically winning this case. And those people were heroes for defending that child. But yeah, here, and consider law enforcement, right? Um, you know, we're supposed to be back in the blue and all that. And we do, you know, love our police officers, of course. But like, they have all the evidence they need to realize that this company is advocating for their in possession of child pornography on probably a mass scale. Yet the company still exists, still making money, just sitting there, right? Um, why aren't they doing anything about it? Oh, we're going to take them to court. Why don't you raid their warehouses, raid their offices, mm-hmm. break into their houses, right? Like the FBI is over here. You know, I just heard a story this week that in the aftermath of January 6th, if you were buying basically Christian material, you know, books and stuff, you were basically running the risk of having your purchases flagged by the FBI to be put like on kind of a watch list for insurrectionists. So if you buy a Bible, the FBI is looking closely at you. But if you're combing through piles of child porn, well, you're, you're just a business. You know, who are we? We'll take you to court and fine you for some money. It's absurd, the world that we live in. You can in. just hide corruption behind a business. No, just pay them enough money and they'll leave you alone, right? So uh, why is this important to Christians? We always like to highlight that. Uh, why address this, right? And I think you address it because people who profess faith in Christ are regular partakers of this filth. You know, um, I have this post here that I was looking at on Reddit, and I see posts like this every single day on Reddit. And this is just one Christianity page on Reddit. There's probably thousands of Christian pages with probably thousands of these posts, right? Pornography as a Christian. I'm a 16-year-old struggling with porn addiction for a few years now. You know, and it's just this, you know, I feel ashamed. I hate myself, but how do I fix it? Right. Mm, There's Christians all over the world, all over the country struggling with this. So we should care about it. It is important to us. There's people stuck in this bondage to sin. So this is just one of probably dozens of posts a day, you know, people desperate for a way out and we need to be aware of it. Uh, it might even be you listening today. You might be the one stuck in this sin. Um, and if it's not you, it's most certainly someone you know who's struggling with this. Um, and they first need to know how wicked this enterprise is. Our nation today has a way of sort of softening sin, right? Porn's kind of become cool. You know, in, in a sense, we've got like hip-hop artists that are former porn stars and strippers, and it's just mainstream now. Um, But it's not mainstream. It's depraved and wicked. And they need to know that. Um, And they need to know how desperately they need to be set free from these sins. I mean, when you think about people who are just delusional about heaven and hell, um, and they want to believe that hell is just one big orgy. I've heard people say that. Have you? Yeah. This is what people are trying to do right now. This is their greatest desire. That's all. That's heaven to them. This is the ultimate thing, you know, and what's the, um, what's the religion called where they think they go to heaven and they just get a bunch of virgins and that's oh, heaven? Islam, you get your yeah, 72 yeah. virgins. Yeah. I don't know. Um, like why this is the ultimate, like, um, like the end goal. Like this is the goal 
that's oh, and just it's like always the, been, right? Every, the most wicked. This is where it leads. Every just false the, and pagan religion is built on, you know, sexual immorality, which is probably why in every listing of sin, you know, basically in the New Testament, they list sexual immorality first because it's super it is, dangerous. Like it doesn't get know? worse than this is what I mean. Just taking advantage of a child and using them for your own sexual perversion. Right. I mean, there's obviously the sin of just general sexual immorality, but then right. yeah, when you're abusing children, it just, and again, this is going to lead into our uh, Bible topic at the end. It definitely escalates that sin. Um, but for you sure. see how this is connected, like this Reddit article or this teen saying he's struggling with pornography and, and this is connected to, our next article with, you know, just the one point that you bring up about discipleship of our kids and teens. This is the result of kids in Christian homes not being discipled and they're struggling in this kind of sin. Yeah, it's dangerous. Um, And I wanted to show these stats here that I saw. So... Again, if you're on the podcast, I'll have this linked in the show notes. Go give this a, lo- a look if you want to read more about these. But it says, um, 70% of Christian youth pastors report that they have had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the last year. 68% of church-going men and more than 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Pastors. Um, of young Christian adults, 18 to 24, 76% actively search for porn. 59% of pastors said married men seek help for their porn use. 33% of women ages 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Um, Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. So that means 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 55% of married men and 25% of married women say they watch porn at least once a month. 57% of pastors say porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. And 69% say porn has adversely impacted the church. And then only 7% of pastors say their church has a program to help people struggling with pornography. So... You know, we cannot be the light in a dark world when so many of us are willing to put their lights out um, so they can go and be partakers in the darkness. Um, Yeah, I mean, our churches, like basically everything in Western civilization, is being ravaged by the uh, demonic porn industry. And the church needs to wake up uh, and get active in putting a stop to this. I saw this other article here. Uh, Covenant Eyes, which is an app that kind of helps people overcome porn addiction. They talk about porn as being a a civilizational crisis, and we would agree. And they certainly uh, speak our language. They're calling it outright demonic, the porn industry. So Mm -hmm. um, we would certainly agree with that. It's a civilizational crisis uh, in the West, and it is definitely demonic. So what should Christians do about it? Well, well, what I do is I'm at Target with the kids and, they're, <laughs> you know, you're over in the area where there's, you know, the DVDs and just the cover of stuff. 
We were there yesterday, and I don't like shopping at Target, though, but I'm just flipping them over. I'm like, oh, my gosh, my kids are near me, and this is, like, right in their face, like the cover of albums with a woman pretty much naked. Right. That's what I mean. It's I'm so like, normalized it's, and commonplace it's that— so, like, that's how they—how do you protect your kids? How? How can you live in this culture? The Amish got it right. Hey, uh, like, what do we do? Like, our kids, honestly, like, that is pornography. Our kids see pornography all the time, and we're desensitized to it. We don't, we don't even recognize it. That's what it is. Well, you know, you're supposed to adhere to the good, godly Christian advice of, well, you can't protect your kids forever. They're going to leave home and go crazy. You're like, that's the advice, huh? Just give them the porn now so they don't partake of it later. That's terrible advice. So does this start, I got, you're introduced to it as a kid. Is that the common story? Or are people, like some men, like just look at it for the first time as an adult? I guess no, today no. that probably won't happen because it's in your face. You go to any store and. No, I saw another article. I mean, most kid, most people are introduced to porn at a very young age. Uh, I mean, I've told my story on here. 12 years old, I think, was the first time I saw porn, and it was like hardcore porn. Um, but I think I saw an article. I don't have it here, but I think it talks about by 13, like of over half of children have been like exposed to porn. But then again, right, what we consider porn now has gotten exponentially, like the standard has gotten much higher, right? Whereas we don't see the the movie cover or the DVD cover of women or men, you know, in their underwear or in bathing suits and like skimpy bikinis as pornography anymore. That's just normal. Well, no, that's pornography uh, in a sense. So we, how many mm -hmm. more, how much higher would that number be if we actually classified it all? Um, but then even this article, right, they talk about, you know, when we look at what should Christians do about it, it says only 7% of pastors say their churches have programs to help with porn addiction. That's wild. I mean, that needs to be 100% of churches. Um, you know, Pornhub is demonic. We've kind of talked about that. Those who partake of their wares are serving Satan's kingdom. Uh, you know, but people need to be aware that there's help. There's hope for those that are trapped in that sin. They can be free of the sin. Um, you know, just right. consider your church. This article here says 68% of men go to church on Sundays, right? They play church on Sunday, but then they go back home and they work to advance Satan's kingdom Monday through Saturday. You know, mentioned earlier, how do you suppose you're going to fare standing before Christ with that on your resume? I would guess it's not going to be great, right? But people need to know, and this is why programs need to exist in the churches, um, that Christ will forgive you for these sins. You know, if you repent, if you turn from those sins... You'll be forgiven, and you can. I mean, there are many a men, many a women that have overcome that sin in their life. Um, but again, <clears throat> this should be 100% in churches. I mean, we have to be the place where people go to break free from sin. Where else could they possibly go besides the church? Um, you know, but that repentance, right, it's not just saying I'm sorry and going right back. Um, it's, you know, the mortifying sin in your life, if you will, putting it to death. And it can happen. It can happen for you. And I know that this doesn't seem true for people that are trapped in it. 
you know, month after month, year after year, trapped in this cycle, like that 16-year-old kid hating sin, giving in to sin, hating sin, and it's just like an endless cycle. Um, but just have hope, right? You can break free from it, but the churches should be spearheading it. That's what we should do. This should be a program that every church is running with full steam yeah. ahead. Um, so how should we pray about it? Because Christians should be praying about everything. Uh I think first off, we need to be praying. Uh, I don't think you should ever stop praying about this. And I think people can tend to get discouraged, you know, as they pray and that prayer isn't answered. You know, like I said, you're going through this, you know, cycle of despair and sin and prayer, and it just seems to go on and on. And you can get, you know, weary and get disheartened and maybe stop praying. Don't ever stop praying. Uh, I thought of that parable from uh, that Jesus mm. gives in Luke chapter eleven. I think it's verse five and eight, the parable of the friend at midnight. You know, he talks about he wants to get a loaf of bread and goes to his friend's house at midnight or his neighbor's house. And, you know, he tells him to go away. But because of the man's persistence, he gives him the bread. Not because he wants to give him the bread, but because the guy won't leave him alone. Gives him the bread just to get some peace and quiet, if you will. And that's there to instruct us to continue going to God in prayer for our needs until he moves. Uh, so, Go to God over and over um, as long as it takes. Never stop praying. Never stop trusting that God will break you free. And never get comfortable in your sin. You know, never just accept that sin is part of who you are. Um, or, you know, wrestle in your mind to sort of lessen the evil of that sin. Don't do that. Um, know that it's evil. Know that it's wicked, that it's not of God. Um, hate it. Cry out to God over and over again and never get comfortable in it. Um, that's what I would, you know, pray that you would never get comfortable in it, even as you still struggle with it. Pray that you would never get comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's plenty of resources. We mentioned Covenant Eyes. That's a good resource to use. Look for the resources. Find the help that's out there. Um, reach out. Talk to your pastors. If they don't have a program, encourage them to start one. Um, but be in constant prayer. You know, even after you stumble again for the thousandth time, repent, pray to f- to God for freedom. Be that, you know, friend at midnight who continues to knock on the door. Uh, but don't ever get comfortable in sin, and not just pornography. Any sin, never get comfortable in it. Um, and I think while you're praying, I always encourage people to pray that not only you would hate sin, we should pray for that, but pray that you would love righteousness, that you would desire righteousness, because I think that's really what you need to overcome sin. Um, is not so much the hatred of sin. But the desire and the love of righteousness, I think, is what helps you overcome sin even more than hatred of sin. So that's what I would encourage you to pray. Yeah, I was just thinking on like, I know, my mind is just like, I'm just very distraught. (laughs) But like, as a parent, say, you know, we're talking about like, why can't we take this business down? Like, this seems huge. But say your kid is accessing porn through just little ways on their phone, just through different apps and just things that come out there. Like if you can't even control what your kid views and, and take away the, the means that they're accessing, how are you going to make a difference with something huge like Pornhub? Like if we even, we can't even help our own kids. Like I'm, fearful. I'm like, how are all the ways our kids have come across things? Like, oh yeah. and I was thinking about like, our boys have 
gone into people's homes to like, you know, take care of dogs and stuff. Like they, they help people out like that. And like, what, what's just in these people's houses? Like, I don't know them well enough. Yeah. And I mean, and at some level, come across something like, and at some level, right. You can't protect a hundred percent. Right. But should be talking, should be praying about this. It should be discussed with your kids uh, from a very early age, right? Probably earlier than you would expect it would need to um, be addressed. Yeah. Talk about the sin. You know, I've talked to our, my boys about this. We pray against sexual immorality every single night of our lives. Um, but he's even just highlight how damaging this sin is. You know, I've read to my boys and I talk to them that, you know, people that get stuck in sin and pornography, it's a sin that grips them their whole life. You know, I've read to them the studies of people in their 70s that still partake of porn regularly. And you're like, can you imagine suffering and giving into a sin for 55 years straight? Like, don't ever let it grip you. And I think just, you know, should be talking to your kids, praying with them, reading scripture with them, pointing out the sin. Because again, you can't shield them 100%, but you should certainly shield them where you can for sure. Yeah, it's like the most uncomfortable thing to have to talk about with your kids. But the world's perfectly comfortable talking about it, shoving it in their face. So we have to be more bold and diligent about just pointing out the darkness of it, just how easy it is. I mean, as a woman, I don't get it. I don't understand the pull, how men are more drawn to it. I don't get it. Like, that's just disturbing to me. I don't know why. I mean, God wired men differently, more visually uh, stimulated. But it, it, the numbers are so different between men and women. Um, well, and it's even changing because they're it's sad coming because after women. They're seeking to get women hooked in this way as well. I mean, like I said, they're 87% of women have watched porn. Well, um, I've seen it as a teen, you know, just the situations I've been in, but I've right. never been like, ooh, I have to watch that. I've never been drawn to it. It disgusted me. Um, I just, it's just crazy because men are supposed to be the spiritual leader, but men are weaker in this way. So it's just, yeah. And I'm sure problem. there's a reason why Satan is coming after men so hard this way, right? I mean, if they're the spiritual leader, if you can knock out the spiritual leader, and we've read the stats, right? I mean, if a father comes to faith and, you know, takes kids to church, I think the family's 93% more likely to come to faith. Whereas, I, you know, if the mother is the only one in the house that has faith, I think the numbers are drastically no lower. So Satan knows that, right? If you can get the fathers, you can destroy the family. So yeah. it makes no sense. Uh, he's makes not going to warn against a sin that he's delved into himself because you feel like a hypocrite. Why would I help someone else when I'm stuck in this? But it's one of those things, like, even if you're struggling in it, I don't know, maybe this is one of the situations like, yes, I have a plank in my eye, but I'm still going to warn you about the speck in yours, even though I'm struggling to get the plank out. Well, certainly. And that's a <laughs> tactic of the devil, right? To, you know, have you be quiet and not talk about something. Right. right? Because like you're maybe guilty of it. Still warn. No, no. Even if you struggle. Warn against it, even if you struggle, right? Yeah. Um, so very important topic. Pornhub is a cesspool of darkness led by children of darkness. Um, but if you're a partaker, well, then you're signing off advocating with them. So don't. 
repent, turn from that sin. So um, we have one more story here before we get to our Bible topic um, or our two-ish Bible topics if we can. Um, but before we roll into it, I just want to remind you guys, please take a second, like, subscribe, follow, whatever asked on your platform. We'd certainly appreciate that. Um, if you're on the podcast, consider leaving a five-star review. We would appreciate that as well. Um, maybe a comment if you're on Facebook, Rumble, or YouTube. We love to respond to comments if we can. Um, but all that would really help us, and we'd be more than grateful if you would take a second to do that for us. But let's roll into our last news story here, honey. Um, do you want to read this headline? Eight reasons some young people are walking away from their faith. Yep. Uh, very important for all of us parents out there to figure this out. So do you want to go through point number one here? Yeah. Number one says their faith was never really theirs in the first place. Uh, they did what they knew others wanted them to do. They followed in the steps of their parents and grandparents. What they never really did, though, was make that faith their own. Yeah. Yep. Um, we see this. I'm sure all of you can think of people you knew in the church growing up, other other friends you had as a child, and now they've they don't go to church anymore. They don't have anything to do with God. And I can I can list probably like twenty to thirty. I went to a lot of different schools. I did go to a Catholic school, and I've been to public, and um, and then I've just known people in the church. So I guess I know a lot of people I went to school with at the Catholic church. But I mean, I mean that's not a Christian church, right? But none of them have, you know, a lot of them actually say they're just atheists now. So yeah, I mean, this is a very common thing that you hear all the time. You know, the whole kids grow up in a Christian home, you know, but then they leave to go off to college. Mom and dad aren't there to make them go to church. So right. they kind of just stop going. It's not really that important to them because it was important to mom and dad. It wasn't really important to them. Um, so I think, you know, this is something as well that you should be discussing. We just, you know, after reading this article, I was like, man, we need to sit down and talk. So we sat down with our kids yesterday and talked to them about this, that, you know, it's important that they take the time to think about the faith for themselves. Is it something they believe or is it just mom and dad's faith? Because, mm -hmm. you know, um, you're not going to stand before Christ and say, well, my mom was a Christian, so can I come in? Right? Like, it's got to be your faith. You've got to ca uh, call on Christ to be your Lord. Uh, so I think it's something we should try to discuss with our kids as they grow. Um, you should prepare them for that dangerous time in their life when they leave home, right, and they're off on their own. And, um, you know, maybe start just in any way you can. I don't have the perfect solution here. We're working through this with kids ourselves. That, But I think the most important thing is just talk about it, address it, um, encourage them to think and ponder and read and study on their own uh, so that when they do leave, you know, they're ready to, um, you know, continue on in the faith and uh, hopefully make it their own before they leave home. That would be ideal. So I know I feel like that's what happened for me. Even though I did live lukewarm, I lived like an unbeliever in many ways, um, even after, you know, going to church all the time, you know, being a faithful uh, churchgoer, you know, when we got married and you deployed and I was on my own while you, and um, I looked for a church. It wasn't until you were back from deployment. Um, you deployed really soon after we got married, like maybe like we got married in September. You, you deployed in October. 
I remember that. Um, you came back in March. Yeah. But I did. I went out and started going to a church. Somebody I worked with told me she really liked the church she went to, and it was that mega church, Mana Church. Um, and that's, yeah, that was good. I desired to go to church, I guess. But uh, being on my own, I didn't know how to just look for a church. It was really the providence of God. Like, you think that you're making decisions in your life. Like, I thought, oh, I'm going to work at Applebee's. And I had no idea. Someone there would tell me about the church they went to. And it, it is funny. Like, we we plan our, our life, but the Lord determines all these things in things that are our decision that we do, the places we work and the people we meet. But God sets people up everywhere. Well, so. and don't think that you can't help your children either after they leave. You know, we didn't necessarily have parents do this, but nothing says you can't. You know, when you send your kids off to college, go and find them a church in that area. Yeah. And get them, <laughs> you know, take them there, get them plugged in, you know, so that they at least have a church home that they know about, right? Um, those sorts of things I think are important. So I think April from Sovereign Grace, well, she moved away now, but I think she said her dad helped her find that church we went to in Florida. Yeah, they're still your kids. Yeah. So still, still help them. Um, do you want to read point number two here? All right. It says, they've seen too much hypocrisy among believers. It says, sometimes, to be honest, they've seen the hypocrisy in their own homes. Their parents weren't the same people at home that they were at church. In other cases, these young people have seen the moral failure of far too many church leaders. Yeah, yeah I don't know how I feel about this point. I certainly believe it's true. I think but... it, it can affect kids. I think when they, they well, don't I understand. I think this is the point they get led into believing by non-believers. That's the way I see it. Mm. That somehow... This idea that Christians are uniquely hypocritical, I think, is nonsense. Like, oh, okay. People are hypocritical. Right. Um, yeah. I would say Christians are just more honest about their hypocrisy. You know, I hold to the fact that um, you have to be a, or a hypocrite in order to be a Christian, right? Because we know the right way to live. We see it in scripture. The Bible tells us how to live. We just recognize that we can't. We know we can't. We know we're hypocritical in well, our the way. The unbeliever, the atheist, doesn't have a moral compass. So they say, well, I'm not a hypocrite because, you know, they don't believe that they have to live a certain way. We know we do. So we're the hypocrites because we're following a moral compass and they're not. Which, again, right, because they are hypocrites because they know in their heart of hearts there's a right way to live. They just refuse to acknowledge it and right. why there's a right way to live. So they're hypocrites yeah. as well. But, yeah. you know, obviously there is truth to this, right? And you should be the same person in your home that you are in your church with your friends, with your wife, yeah. with your kids. You, know, you don't want to set your kids up in this way that, you know, they see you as hypocritical. But, you know, I think this is more something where the secular and the godless world loves to point out the hypocrisy in Christians, you know, um, but it's not like, I mean, th this doesn't drive people away from other things, right? Like people don't see politician after politician fail and fall and fall and just go, I'm never voting again. I'm done with politics. No, you realize they're humans and they they fail. Um, so I think this is something people get led into. Doesn't mean it doesn't lead people away, um, but you know, you should strive to be 
honest and, you know, the same person in any situation. But, you know, young kids out there or you yourself listening, don't believe the lie that somehow Christians are uniquely hypocritical. Um, well, I guess if you're... Let your kids see you repent and... Right. The kids need to see you confess that you um, broke God's law, that you sinned. That's what's going to make the difference. Like, as parents, we can't just ignore our sin when we know we've done wrong and that our kids have seen us do wrong. And then we don't confess that sin before them and God. They're learning to just ignore their sin because they see us ignore our sin. Yeah. So the difference is that they see the example of what it what it looks like to confess your sin, to be humble. Um, and the only way they're going to ever see us be humble is if we confess our sin. They don't want to see parents that are perfect. They need to see that they're just like their parents, that parents aren't above confession, above humility. Um, I think it's important that we apologize to our kids when we've gone too far or just anything we think maybe they would have noticed and they didn't say anything. Um, I think that's what's going to make the difference. Not that, oh, we're a Christian family and we fail miserably so many times. It's like every Christian family is going to deal with things, deal with sin. But what's going to make that difference is kids seeing their parents confess they're wrong, their sin. Well, our kids are in luck then. (laughs) We make enough mistakes that we uh, (laughs) tell them we're sorry about. So yeah, no, that's good. Let your kids see you repent and be humble for sure. Um, Do you want to read this third point here? All right. says they have never really been discipled themselves. Even though they grew up in a Christian home, no one walked arm in arm with these believers to help them get grounded in their faith, to stand against the devil, and to walk in victory. They've had to figure it all out, largely on their own, and that's made them vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I would say this is true, and I would say like porn that we talked about earlier, this is an epidemic in the church, the lack of discipleship. Because mm-hmm. um, we all need to be discipled. You never outgrow the need of discipleship. people don't know what it means to disciple someone. I think that's the problem. They just, a lot of churches, like this, the programs, kids come to church, and they have a good time, and Jesus is cool, Christianity is cool. They see that as discipleship. But yeah. No, and churches need to do a better job of explaining discipleship and encouraging people into discipleship. But again, we have to own yeah. some of this ourselves. You know, yeah. we have to desire and want discipleship. But I mean, like you said, so many kids go to church, right? Um, you know, mostly because they're drugged there by their parents. Um, and it seems like a lot of modern churches today are of the mindset that kids kind of just want to be entertained so that they'll mm-hmm. think it's cool and come back. But that's not discipleship. Well, I wonder that with our kids, I think they probably just want to come to church because their friends are there. Right. And that's, there's nothing wrong about that. Like you should right. enjoy church and community I mean, and friendship, but you do need them to be, you know, taught in the right. ways of Christian living. Right. Um, and that's more what discipleship is, not just enjoying programs, but taught what Christian living is, how to live rightly, you know, how to read your Bible, how to study, how to pray. Um, I want to see these things things. at home. I think because we talk about let's the parents should be the same person at home that they are at church, and we want to see that with our with our kids. What's going on at home? Are we discipling them 
at right. home. I are think that's we... a first line of discipleship. You should be your your kids should be the first disciples that you have in a mm-hmm. godly home. Um, but you know, you as a parent should also be getting discipled in a sense. Mm-hmm. Should be seeking that. I'm excited. I'm getting ready to start being discipled. I've never really had any sort of formal discipleship. I think you know, in our previous home in Florida, I think I was being discipled by Scott, and I was grateful for that. Learned a lot from Scott. Um, excited to get started again. And I would encourage you, if you aren't being discipled, start being discipled and get your kids discipled because they need it. Um, more than they need to be entertained at church, they need to actually know what it looks like to live a, a Christ-focused life, for sure. So do you want to read here point number four? They live in an ever-changing culture that gives them permission to live differently than their Christian upbringing demands. It says, when I was younger, you may have wrestled with lifestyle issues, um, but you did it quietly and alone. That's not the case anymore. Culture now invites and welcomes deconstruction of faith. Yeah, that's kind of a a hot topic there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's uh, the cool new thing, right? Deconstruction. And there's so many in the church. You know, we've talked about Andy Stanley here and Zach Lambert to the world and those sort of pastors, if you want to call them that, that make it, you know, perfectly acceptable and almost even godly to act in any way you want, right? You know, so you can live in sin and all these sorts of things, and they tell you it's it's fine and godly. And then these kids just kind of decide that, well, if I can live any way I want, I can live just like the world, what's the point of the church then? Just don't need to be there anymore, right? So I'll just leave and go and do what I've always been doing. Like, if you're not going to give them a different standard, a different way to live, right? and you're just going to tell them whatever they do is acceptable, just please show back up, then what's the point of them coming there? They can go anywhere and find a a friend to hang out with or mm-hmm. a game to play or a lunch right. to eat, right? If they're not being taught that there's a, a different and better way to live, um, then they'll just stop coming. That just makes sense. Yeah. No so reason to stick around. That was point number four. Let's keep this thing going. Point number five. They have never had anyone to legitimately hear their questions, much less try to answer them. Too many older believers have simply criticized their doubt and called them to just believe. It's accurate that we must believe, but belief that cannot answer opposing questions is surely lacking. Yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, obviously is a problem, right, um, to not have in their questions answered. But I think it's a problem that comes about because we have so many unqualified men leading churches. Yeah. And these unqualified men are failing to teach their people, and so those people have no ability to answer the questions. Um, but, you know, Christianity is truth, and truth is logical. It can be explained. Uh, you just need people who care enough about God and enough about study, you know, study to show themselves approved, mm-hmm. as Paul would say. Um, and we should invite those questions, and we should have a desire to study and seek the answers, um, mm-hmm. because the answers are out there. You know, the answers have, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, the questions that your kids ask have been asked before. Mm-hmm. They've been answered before. You may have to do a little bit of looking for the answer. Um, 
And you must also be prepared that the answer you find may not be the answer your kid wants to hear, but that's fine. You have to give them the truth. Um, but don't run away from the questions. Don't just say, have faith. Uh, I mean, there's some things, right? There's the mysteries of God that we can't necessarily, you know, nug down. But you know, for most of it, there are answers. Mm-hmm. And um, we should be open to those questions. You should ask your kids if they have questions. That's why we do what we do on this show and look at things in the culture that, you know, you may have to deal with, you may have questions about and try to help as best we can. Um, but you shouldn't run from that. You know, just believe is fine in a sense, but it should never be the final answer. Um, right. Yeah. And go find a church that actually teaches you the Bible. That's a good place to start too. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Point number six. They have had no real grounding in the word. This issue, of course, is connected to number three. Others have told them this is the word of God, but no one's helped them know why we believe uh, that why we believe that about the word. These young people now approach the Bible with skepticism, if they approach it at all. Yeah, I think that's a big one. You know, we live in a culture that tells kids repeatedly that the Bible has errors, or it has contradictions, or it's old, it's sexist, it's racist, and, you know, every other falsehood under the sun. Um, and if they have no one there, again, pointing back to that discipleship idea, no one there offering them or explaining to them the truth, you know, but it's just that God loves you and he wants to help you overcome your battles, you know, then how could they have any grounding? Your battles are always just going to be selfish, like your own issues, and you're never really going to look at the issue of like overcoming sin, like the real battle, the spiritual battle. Your battle's going to be like finding a a parking spot close to the entrance. <laughs> yeah, somebody <laughs> stole my parking spot. Like I need God to help me <laughs> overcome the battle. And yeah. You know, and you should be in a church that's teaching doctrine, a church that's teaching foundational principles and these sorts of things. And because mm-hmm. that's what gives people the grounding. You know, that the Bible isn't just a, a book that's haphazardly thrown together and tells, you know, irrelevant stories that don't make sense. It's one story, right? And, but you need somebody that can show that to people, teach it to people. Um, pointed out to them that it's a foundation that's solid um, that they can stand on. You know, it's not the dilapidated foundation of Darwinian evolution um, that even its great prophet Darwin disproved um, on his own there. So they need the truth explained to them, though. They need discipleship. They need Bible teachers, not just hip preachers, if you right, will. They need right. Bible teachers that can. Um, put the foundation together for them, you know, because it's not the easiest thing in the world to put together, but it is uh, solid. You know, it's like I said, it's not just haphazardly thrown together. Um, There is a point to it. It's pointing in one direction. There is doctrine. It does make sense. Um, It is logical. It can be explained. It just needs people that have put in the time and study and are able to do that. Right. That's Mm -hmm. why we have gifts. Um, Yeah. I was going through my, uh, my, uh, classes this morning. And one of the things, you know, reading through the book, it kind of talks about the different giftings that we have and how some people are gifted with speaking and um, others are gifted in other ways. And they kind of made the point in there that, you know, in the first 12 chapters of Acts, 
whenever you see Peter and John together, John's always silent and Peter's speaking. And they're like, that's because Peter had a gift of speaking. Um, mm-hmm. So Peter was the spokesman, right, for the group in a sense. And you're like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. You know, John was probably more gifted as a writer. That's why he has, you know, five books in the New Testament, right? Where, um, And then maybe there's some who are gifted in other ways, right? Paul seemed to have been gifted in speech and writing, you know, but I just thought that was an interesting thing. So, you know, mm. um, find someone who's gifted in teaching and let them teach you. They are right. out there. Because we have people who are gifted in speaking, yeah, not teaching. They yes, just like speaking to and talk. teaching are not necessarily the same gift. No, they're so, not at all. Um, yeah. You can be gifted in the same way, but it doesn't have to be. So find someone who's gifted in teaching. Maybe for just sure. a motivational speaker. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of those leading churches. All right. Point number seven. All right. They're dealing with sin in their lives. I don't remember who made this statement, but I've never forgotten the statement about believers who turn from their faith. Immorality often precedes unbelief. Sometimes young people walk in another direction in their beliefs because they've already walked that way in their actions. Hmm. Yeah, uh, that's so true. They turn Um, away and then they realize why they turned away. They're like, oh, it's because I don't believe. Is that what it's kind of getting at? No, I think it's that, you know, their desire for sinfulness um, never really gets squashed out. And so I think it's easier in your mind to just say, I don't believe rather than I'm living in sin. Okay. Okay. So I've basically chosen sin over God. And rather than wrestling with that difficult concept in my mind, I'm just going to go, well, God doesn't exist then. Because that's easier than being like, I've chosen child pornography and Pornhub over God. Well, that's Romans. Romans 1. Yeah. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness and deny God's existence. Yeah. But, I mean, definitely true. And, you know, we even, again, something to consider, right? We even have people who consider themselves Christians and pastors and churchmen and stuff. The Andy Stanley, Zach Lamberts of the world, who they have the approach, right, of just affirm the sin enough that people will stick around. And that's such a foolish and ungodly notion um, because what people need to hear is that they are committing sin, right? Um, that their sin separates them from God and that they need to repent. You know, we need to be calling people not, uh, we need to be calling them to righteousness and not just acceptance of depravity. Um, and again, they may walk away, right? Uh, but we can't be afraid of that. We can't just soften the sin in hopes that they'll stick around in their sin because you're not doing them any favors there either. Um, let them know that they're living in sin and um, call them to repentance and help them, you know, walk side by side with them as best you can. You know, it's just such a miracle of God that in this wicked world, I'm just thinking about the whole Pornhub thing again. I don't know. <laughs> I keeps chilling about just how... How evil this world is. But the miracle of God that there are Christians who resist the temptation. Because temptation is everywhere. Like we're dealing with temptation today, just in our faces constantly, everywhere we go, that they didn't have to deal with in Acts. We have no it literally everywhere. Not even in in just the sexual immorality, um, 
category, but in other ways. But it is just a miracle of God that there's any Christians standing today resisting temptation. Just It's just evident of, that's proof of God that there's people who aren't given in to sinfulness. That's evidence yeah, of God <laughs> right there. It's a miracle if you haven't completely because if, fallen if and it's evolution, we'd all follow the same carnal desires. Why would there be some who don't follow that natural instinct? Like animals all do the same thing. Why are humans not all following each other? You're not Why allowed are... to think that. It's just truth. Why are humans? It's like, okay, if you want to look at it like evolution, it's like we're we're splitting right now. Like God does say, like, we're a new creation. It's like we're branching off of the old. We're different. We're a different breed of human, you could say. Because there's a spirit <laughs> at work in us. How do you explain that, not, that, that some humans hate sin? The carnality, the natural desires of our species. Yeah, it's a good question to ask. So, evidence of God in his, in his spirit here. Yeah. Proof of God's existence. No, definitely good. So um, let's read this final point here because we still have our Bible topics to get to. Um, this is going to be a lengthy episode, but uh, I think it's all good. So read point number eight, honey, if you would. They found a stronger community outside the church than within. They found friends, fun, and fellowship with others, things they for some reason did not get in the church. We know their community with others might be fleeting, but their eyes are on the immediate rather than the long term. They like what they're getting now. That's a good one. Yeah, I think That's this is most certainly true. true. Um, and it's what we've experienced for most of our life in church. You know, it seems like for a lot of people, church is something that you kind of either get drugged to or drag yourself to once a week, and then you get out as fast as possible. Um, and I don't necessarily have the answer on how you build community. I'm sure it looks different in different places. But it's something that needs to be under serious consideration in the church. Yeah. Um, you know, Nikki talked about our first church in North Carolina, Mana Church. Um, and I still remember the way that they built community. And I thought it to this day is the best thing I've ever seen in a church. You know, they granted it was a big church. It was church, a big church, so it was possible to do it like that. Yeah. But they had, you know, over 200 small groups. And they had small groups for literally anything you could imagine you were interested in. And if there wasn't one and you were interested in it, they would let you start one. Um, you'd have to go through some training classes, but they would let you start one. Like if you wanted to run a marathon, there was a group for that. There was Bible studies. There was basketball teams, like literally anything and everything. And what I thought was so great about it is that you're doing what you love with people who love God, mm -hmm. right? So you build it around, mm -hmm. you know, just prayer and fellowship but you're getting to know people in your church and in your community that share things other Common than just interest. love for yeah. you know scripture or whatever. Like right. that's what you want to love, but we all love other things too, right? You like sports, you like cooking, yeah. you like gardening, whatever. You it's can have not small just groups for that. Going to church and then going home and being alone with your temptations. It's like good reasons to get out and do all these hobbies and be with believers and have accountability. It's like yeah. you could probably be involved in three or four different groups a day with how many different 
um, kinds of groups they had. Well, and we still have friends to this day that we met in that very first church in our small group. We went to a young married couples without kids group. <laughs> and, you know, nearly 20 years later, we still have those friends. We're no longer young married couples without kids. We're all older married couples with older kids, but we're still friends with them um, mm -hmm. that we met there and built some community. And, you know, again, it looks different in different places, but I thought that was a great idea. You know, find people in the church that have interests even outside of the church that you can, you know, have community with and, yeah. you know, so that you get to know people in your church that aren't just the same three people that you sit around in your corner of the church that you sit in every Sunday, right? Yeah. You get to know people on a more human level. Yeah. But then you both love mm -hmm. God and, you know, those sorts of things. So I think it's super important. It's very important for kids as well too, right? Um, so there is some aspect of the kids just like being at church because that's yes. where their friends are. That's good. Yes. That's where their friends should be. Um, but even you as an adult, you should be finding your friends there. And, you know, because if you read through the book of First John, where we go to find out our assurance of salvation, one of the, you know, the theme you keep seeing in there is love of the brethren. Yeah. Do you love your your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you like being around them, Right. Because uh, it's hard to love someone you can't stand being around. So mm -hmm. we should be building that community in our church. I don't have all the solutions to it, you know, but it's something that the leadership and the elders of your church should be considering. If you have ideas for it in your church, you should be offering them because I think it's very important. So um, I think those are eight pretty good points. There mm -hmm. may be others. You know, if you guys have any ideas about... Um, why young people might be leaving the church and how we can fight against that, please let us know in the comments. We have young children that are getting older now and we don't want them to leave the church. Uh, so please leave us a comment, send us an email, whatever you can. We'd love to hear from you on that. But do you have any final thoughts on this topic of young children leaving the church? Oh, we can move on to our other Bible topic. All right, so we will Good. get into our Bible topic here. And um, I had Nikki read the chapter. I did read it myself, but I didn't have time to really prepare the notes for it. So I. Well, you thought it was delegated. really good, right? It was a great chapter for sure. <laughs> but I delegated that responsibility to Nikki. Um, and after reading the chapter, her thoughts were basically I should just read the whole chapter. <laughs> like, well, I thought it was short and sweet. Um, and I'm like, how do I break this down radio. into like smaller. I'm like, I just want to read it all. It's all so good. <laughs> well, and that's why we encourage you guys to go and pick up the book. I'll have links to that in the show notes. It's a great family devotional for sure, discussing sin in these um, short, easy to read chapters. Um, and while reading the entire chapter would be beneficial, no doubt. Um, I don't think it's the most compelling listening in the world. So I will try to restrain her as best I can. I know this episode is long already. Um, we will do our best to make our way through it. But um, we're getting back in. We got a few more chapters left to finish of Mark Jones's book, Knowing Sin. So do you want to go ahead and give them the chapter title and we can just get this thing ro uh, rolling? Mm -hmm. All right. Chapter 17. It's called Sin's Degrees, Little Lies. Um, so the question he opens with is, are some sins worse than others? Um, he points how, how there's a difference or there's a there's a misunderstanding in the saying, which you may have heard, I've heard it, that all sin is equally bad in God's eyes, or all sin is equal. Um, so he says there's a difference in 
severity of sins, but all sin is equally, it, all sin equally separates us from God. And it all requires uh, Jesus's sacrifice to pay that debt. Yeah, no, that's a good point because yes, all sin is equally separates us, right? But the Bible does make clear that there are yeah. some sins that are more grievous than others. You know, you think of, uh, I think it's First John where he tells you, you know, people that commit these sins or whatever, don't even pray for them, right? They're, mm. uh, they're beyond prayer. You know, they don't highlight what that sin is, but um, so there are certainly severity of sins. Um, but again, at the same time, you know, God doesn't acts? see them as equal. It's not Acts, right? It's uh, James. You know, if you've broken, I'm forgetting the verse now, but um, if you've broken one commandment, essentially you've broken all the commandments, mm -hmm. if you will. So in a sense, there's e equality in the sins and that it separates you, but there's definitely different degrees like, who, and severity. Who was it who um, was explaining that in the garden, Adam and Eve essentially broke all 10 commandments in a, in a sense. I've heard that. Uh, I don't remember who it was that I'm sure there's been many people who've made that connection. Yeah. But, um, anyway, I can't remember who was talking about it. Yeah. And but. well, and there's also that too, right? Like it's rarely that you've commit one sin on an Island, right? Usually you're committing many sins that lead, you know, into the, what looks like one major sin, right? This is where we talk about, you know, even the seven deadly sins, you know, they pride used to be, one of the seven deadly sins, and then they reworked that listing because they're like, well, really, pride leads to every sin. So pretty much any sin you commit, you're right. also committing a sin of pride. You're above God. You're above yeah. his commands. Yeah. So definitely, definitely um, a good point. Yeah. And then he says, um, well, he gives a couple scriptures to prove, to prove that God sees certain sins as worse than other sins. So Jesus is sentencing um, in response to Pilate. He says, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And that's John 19, 11. And um, so Mark Jones says that not all sins are as bad as others. And he lists three biblical reasons uh, for the degrees of sins. So the first one... Um, he quotes Matthew 24. Um, I don't know if I wrote that down in the book here. Oh, he says, there will be differing degrees of punishment for the wicked on the day of judgment. Um, and I'm probably not going to say the names of these cities, right? The, our Lord's indictment against Chorazin and Bethsaida seems shocking when he claimed that it will be Moral, more bearable on the day of judgment for Ty, Ty, Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon, then for you. Or Tyre and Sidon. Yeah, I, I never knew it. how to pronounce that. That's Matthew eleven twenty two, um, and then for Capernaum, he he says he will be brought. Capernaum will be brought down to Hades, and again that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Um. So he says those with greater light offered to them will face a stricter judgment. Their refusal to believe a clear gospel summons is a greater offense than those who did not hear it explicitly preached. So I thought that was a good explanation there. No, I think that's um, good. The, the 
amount, I guess, the amount of light or the amount of access to the light that you've had increases yeah. the severity of you walking away. And that's, you know, was it Hebrews 6, right? Those that have come so close and mm. yet um, walk away, they can't return back to salvation or whatever. Like, right. So that's in like the that. same sense that you can be an unbeliever your whole life and come to faith in Christ and be saved. But if you've come so close, you know, even look like a, you know, you're saved and then turn your back on God says you can't be saved anymore. That's more severe. You were so close to the light and left. Whereas somebody who lived their life in darkness and never saw the light until the end, they can still be saved. So I'd say definitely severity there. Trample underfoot, son of God. And I think we don't hear that enough. So many people are like, no, God's mercy is great. You can, there is a point where you are judged while you're still alive. That's scary. Well, yeah. And that's the thing, you know, we don't discuss, which is why we're talking about sin here, because we don't discuss sin enough. We don't discuss the damages of sin, the evilness of sin, the separation of sin, right? We just focus on God's grace will cover you. You know, God, will, you know, he loves you. He forgives you. That's a good message. It's true for sure, right? But we also need to know that like, I mean, sin can separate you and it will send you to hell and you will die in those sins separated from God for eternity. So don't just dabble in it and go, well, God's grace covers me to a degree, sure but it doesn't have to, right? And there are sins like John mentions that don't even pray for these people. Mm-hmm. Hebrews 6, no, they've gone too far. They can't come back now. That needs to be addressed as well. Like, you know. Yeah, this was a very, yeah, this chapter really makes you just stop and, and think. It is scary. Um, okay, so second, he talks about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, um, which we call the unforgivable sin. Yep. Um, he, he talks about the Pharisees, how they attributed uh, the miracles of Jesus to Satan, that he cast out demons by Beelzebub. Um, I wonder if this is also, you know, we talked about Andy Stanley and Zach Lambert, right? Those who attribute, you know, these LGBTQ affirming pastors that attribute your sinful lifestyle to just, that's how God made you. Mm. you know? It's just doing the reverse, yeah. It's like they're attributing a sinful lifestyle to, I mean, essentially, they're telling you God is yeah. leading they you into sin. They are blaspheming his name. Very dangerous. Um, sorry, I was just seeing, I was going to read a little from here. Um, so yeah, oh, he brother. talks about the, just the persisting in hatred against God. Um, yeah, that was, there's no possibility for forgiveness. Um. So the third one, um, the intentional sins, the, what I brought up before, like sinning with a high hand, um, just how prevalent that is today, the, the pride in the sin. And like you said, yeah, calling, saying that God approves of it, um, those kinds of things. That's a very high degree of sin. Yeah. Um, and then he talks about, um, yeah, intentional versus unintentional sins. Um, in Numbers 15, it says the, the person sinning unintentionally must offer a sacrifice and the priest make an atonement before God for the mistake, um, the unintentional sin. And it says, however, um, those who sin with a high hand are cut off from the people of God because they have openly despised God's word and commandments. It says such a, pers- a person's iniqu- iniquity shall be on him. Yeah. It's scary. 
Um, so there are degrees of sins. Uh, and then he gets into ranking sins, uh, less or more serious. Um, is this where he has? Oh, no, that one's not there. But anyway, um, he discusses why like a sin against a man versus uh, sinning against God is less heinous. So speaking blasphemy against God is worse than speaking blasphemy against our neighbor. Right. Um, like they're both sins against God, what you do to one person, but it's about the name of God, I guess. Um, he says the aggravation is heightened when directly against God, like what the Pharisees did with saying Jesus' miracles were the working of Satan. So, so he mentions like murder is usually worse than uh, bearing false testimony unless that false testimony uh, leads to the murder of many individuals. Right. Um, adultery is more serious than stealing, since, uh, but since all adultery involves stealing, um, not all stealing involves adultery. So, yeah, it's true. Um, so coveting another man's wife, um, he says it's not as bad as killing another man's wife. Right. Yeah, we I would think agree. That makes sense to I think, us, but I yeah. think it gets lost when you just don't focus on again the seriousness of sin. Mm -hmm. You know, when you just sort of broad brush sin as it's all something God can forgive, and there's no, you know, just He loves you and whatever He'll forgive you for it. But you really need to, I think, spend time focusing on sin, like you mentioned, sins of a high hand or mm -hmm. you know, sins against the Holy Spirit and these sorts of things that are more grievous and hopefully that would lead you to more serious repentance yeah um, if you are found to be committing these sorts of sins yes so he goes into how particular sins can become aggravated um, meaning that uh, something that makes the sin worse um, so he talks about the one sinning the one sinned against and the nature of the sin so I just liked his examples in here he said consider consider two situations involving theft First, a pastor steals money from the church, offering to pay gambling debts and continue visiting a prostitute. Second, a seven-year-old boy steals a few dollars from another student at school to buy some snacks at lunch. Clearly, the pastor's sin is more serious and aggravated by differences in the categories mentioned. It is important to remember in our doctrine of sin and its aggravations that everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. Um well, and that makes me think too, right, of James 3.1. We talked about, you know, teachers will be judged more harshly. Yes. And I think that could be seen in the same sense that mm -hmm. you're closer to the light. You have more access or understanding of the light. So for you to sin against God in that manner means you're going to be judged. So in that same church, right, they're both stealing. The pastor is going to be judged more harshly than the young child, mm -hmm. um, not only because his sin is greater, but because he's closer to the light as well, if you will, in a sense. Right. So he's going to be judged even harsher for that same sin. So my notes didn't show up on here. I'll just read from here. Well, I'll just try to follow along. Um, so then he goes on about sin. Um, when you sin, it's against the knowledge like, you know, it's sin. Um, and he has eight um, points here in sinning uh, that way. It's against knowledge. Um, so I'll just read the first one. He says, first, by will, willfully and totally neglecting Christian duties, he says he is not ignorant that it is a duty to read the word, yet he lets the Bible lie by as rust armor. He is convinced that it is a duty to pray in his family. 
yet he can go days and months and God never hear of him. He calls God Father, but never asks his blessing. So there's things that you know, but you neglect, um, like, or you're living in sin in some way and someone corrects you. So you have the knowledge. God has even brought someone to you, but you ignore it. You, it's kind of like you have conviction, um, but you ignore the conviction. And I was just going to read one more of these. I guess I was going to read maybe the seventh. He says, by boasting about a sin after indulging in it, sinning boldly and blatantly is far worse than uh, occurring in weakness and with repentant weeping after it. Um, so there's a difference, like some person can do a sin and repent. Like we've talked about this before. There's difference in someone who sins and repents and they hate that sin. And then there's someone who does the same sin, but they're not repentant. They continue in it. That is what Jesus refers to as a worker of iniquity, a worker of lawlessness. You're, you're continuing in it. And it shows your love is for that. Um, yeah, you're not humble. Um, and I liked this part up here. I'm glad I found it. He says, the pleasure of sin does more delight him than the threats affright him. Like all men know the righteous judgment of God, but the sin is more delightful. Well, and that's kind of that point. Um seven that we talked about with kids leaving the church, right? Their immorality often precedes unbelief. They um, they delight more in their sin than they fright in God's judgment. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, I think that's definitely I think that's true. the lukewarmness. And I think back when I was lukewarm and I knew, I only knew Jesus as Savior and not as Lord. And... I understand that. You don't fear him. You don't fear his judgment because grace covers you. You just said the prayer when you were younger, and it doesn't matter what you do, you're going to go to heaven because you said a prayer. Those are people who don't see Jesus as Lord. He's a, a half savior. And we need to get back to preaching. You know, they mock them now, right? They're called fire and brimstone preachers. Oh, gosh, and, you know, I know. We talk about... The we Puritans need it. now, right? And people get, you know, down on the Puritans because they were, you know, they just preached harsh and they were fire and brimstone. But that was a faith that set this nation on its course, changed the world, great awakenings. And we've replaced that with, yeah, the seeker sensitive. God, you know, forgives you for everything, you know. Mm -hmm. And we've seen where that's led us to. People walking away from the faith in droves where the fire and brimstone we're bringing to people the faith in droves. So which one worked better? Uh, it seems I know, to me right? that the, uh, the Puritan model yeah. was a far more accurate, biblical, and productive model than this, accept well, people in their sins until they love God. It seems like a terrible I don't know why idea. people are trying to reinvent it. All right, do you want to I'd give like, maybe just one more point? Yeah, out of this so I'm just going back a little bit because it was a good um, example. It says um, how we can reply, apply this just to different aspects of our lives, but in terms of uh, responsibility, he says, for example, a father as head of the household has a greater responsibility to promote godliness in the home than his children do. A pastor has a greater responsibility to promote the truth than his flock. And I liked how he talked about this. Um, it says, Jesus, who abounded with graces and giftings, had in 
incredible responsibility to execute the offices of prophet, priest, and king as our redeemer. Theoretically, if he could have sinned, it would have been the most heinous act uh, imaginable. How? Because it would have done more damage to God's glory and honor than if any mere creature sinned against God. So it does matter who you are versus like a child versus a pastor. They can sin in the same way of stealing um, right. I think we even see that from the very beginning, right? I mean, Eve took the fruit and ate and gave it to Adam, but it's, it's always in scripture recognizes Adam's sin. Mm-hmm. Adam failed to protect Adam failed because mm-hmm. he was the head of the family. He was the spiritual head. He's yeah. whom, you know, he God could have placed. steered her the other way. He was with her. He let her, yeah, he so let her eat it. It makes sense that the father would be, yeah. you know, uh, maybe judged more strictly for failing to teach righteousness in his home. Obviously, we know pastors not teaching righteousness in their church. But again, that goes back to the very beginning. There's nothing new there. Um, To whom much is given, much is required. That is something to really think on. I think about like the kids, you know, I'll get a little lazy. I struggle with just homeschooling the kids sometimes. For me, I I don't like to sit down. I don't like looking over papers. I'm more of like, a hands-on person. Like I would like to like to work with my hands. I mean, not looking through papers. I'd rather, that's why I don't mind house cleaning. I like that kind of labor. I wouldn't do well with a desk job or something like that. So I have a really hard time. I'll be slacking, but um, I'll feel convicted. What has God given me? What's the work he's given me to do? He's blessed me with the ability to homeschool and I'm being lazy about that. Like, I'll be great in another area. Like, I can ignore an important thing I'm supposed to do and justify it because I'll do the other things that are important as well, but not in that moment. Like, those are things that could be taken care of later. They, they still need to get done, but I'll kind of like feel better about myself. I accomplished stuff today, but it's not the things that needed to be accomplished right now. You know what I mean? I'm sure we can all relate to that and maybe in different areas of our life. Um, So I'm honest with myself. I'm like, I'm being lazy and I need your help, God. Like, I do pray about this often. And I know we talk about homeschool your kids and it is hard. It is hard. You're not just dealing with the paperwork part. You're dealing with kids, kids' attitudes. Well, it's definitely, yeah, certainly never easy. So I can't like, I feel like, oh, I'm a hypocrite. I'm yelling at them for being lazy and not doing their work, but I'm like, I'm being lazy and not checking their work all the time. (laughs) Well, we're the parents there. It's not the same. But uh, I will just end on this idea of um, sins, um, different levels of sin. And, Mm -hmm. you know, Nikki mentioned to whom much is given, much is um, required. Required, And I would just impress on anyone listening here, as American Christians, we have been given much. Nobody in the history of the world has had more access Mm -hmm. to Bibles, Mm -hmm. teachings, sermons, churches, freedom. Nobody has been given what we've been given. So for us to walk away into the depravity that we're walking into, I would say is more grievous. Mm. And we should consider that in our own lives that, you know, just like the Bible warns against the rich um, in this world, well, we are the rich in America. We're the richest that have ever lived. So we are who they're talking about. Just the same as to whom much is given, much is required. We are those whom much was given. So much is required of us as well. So 
Um, when you read those passages, consider yourself because that's who it's talking about. You are that person. You are the rich one who's been given much, much is required of you. So consider that in your own life. Look at your own sins. They are more grievous because we've been given more. We have more access. Um, so take them serious. Don't be of the mindset that grace covers me. So none of it matters. It certainly matters. Eternity matters. So take them serious. Yeah. Um, do you have any final thoughts here before we end with our final, final mm -hmm. Bible topic? We'll get through that one. Oh quickly. gosh, I forgot about that one. No, let's go ahead and run to that. All right. We do want to end. We told you guys we're going to spend this year looking at eschatology, trying to formalize our views on end times. So I just wanted to kind of give you for today, just to keep it short, sort of who believes what? you know, as far as percentages and then pastors and resources and stuff like that, that you can go to. So uh, I saw this study here from Lifeway Research um, talking about what pastors believe about the book of Revelation. I thought it was really interesting. Um, down here, according to Lifeway Research, 60% of pastors are premillennial, 21% are all millennial, and only 9% are postmillennial, hmm. which I thought that was surprising. Uh, I would have assumed amillennial is the lowest, but that's simply because I don't really know anybody that's amillennial. I know really one person that's amillennial. So just in my own life, that mm -hmm. seemed to be weird. 60% makes sense for premillennial. That's, mm -hmm. um, that one makes sense there. And then going on down further, um, it says, uh, what, which perspective on the millennium? Oh no, not that. That's not what I want to read. This one. What method of interpreting the prophecies in Revelation best describes you? So 28% of pastors are futurists, 8% are idealists, 5% preterists, and 3% are historicists. Um, that seems weird to me. I would not have guessed that 8% of idealists, I again would have assumed that was the least common of them. But if you saw that study, it says 51% of pastors hold a mixture of those views, which to me says 51% of pastors have not taken the time to study this topic out properly. And I think that's a shame. Now, I could be wrong. Maybe they have and they have a mixture of views. But to me, that kind of says like, I don't know, man. They're just the, uh, the pan millennials, right? It'll pan out in the end. Um, don't take it that serious. That's the way I read that. You have to have at least some understanding, like a partial understanding. You don't have to say you understand all of Revelation because there's parts that I would say. I refuse to admit that. I will understand it one all. One thing, but I'd say certainly. the other section, I'm like, that might mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, so maybe there is some, right? A mixture. You got a little bit of like. I think you can have a mixture after studying. I don't think that means you didn't study. Not acceptable. Because there's more than the views presented. You need to be rigid, uncompromising in your view. You come up with your own new view. Kidding. Yes, a new view. New oh, that's exciting. <laughs> um, so just wanted to give you so, some ideas of where sort of pastors, I'm sure this is kind of just American pastors, where they stand on their views. Post uh, premillennial and futurist, which again, go hand in hand, seem to be leading the pack there. So I thought that's interesting. And then just wanted to give you some names um, of who teaches what. So for the premillennial view, the premillennialists include people like John Gill. Um, 
Charles Spurgeon, of course, James Montgomery Boyce, John Piper, Albert Moeller, a man who I've come to find great affection in, Francis Schaeffer was a premillennialist, D.A. Carson, and of course, John MacArthur, and um, last but not least, our leadership of Heritage Christian Fellowship is premillennial in their views. Um, and again, that's the most common view in America today, so it makes sense. And then for the amillennial view, um, this one was hard to find a like lengthy list of who believed amillennialism. So I grabbed the ones I could find, you know, Vody Bauckham, um, someone we really like is an amillennialist. Uh, St. Augustine, I believe, was amillennial. Mm -hmm. I think the Roman Catholic Church, from what I was looking up, holds to an amillennial view for the most part. Um, someone correct me if I'm wrong. But then also J.I. Packer and R.C. Sproul were amillennialists. Uh, and then lastly here for the post-millennial view, um, the great American theologian Jonathan Edwards was a post-millennialist. Uh, James White, Doug Wilson, B.B. Warfield, even Pat Robertson. And of course, you can't forget, Kenneth Copeland was a post-millennialist or is a post-millennialist. So there you go. Uh, there, of course, are others on this list. I wanted to kind of keep it short, and uh, I knew this episode was going to be long anyways. But I uh, just wanted to give you those names, resources for you to look at. So if you want to go and maybe read anything about these different views, study the way we are trying to. Um, just wanted to give you a few resources. So if you wanted to read about the historic premillennial view, um, from what I read, kind of one of the prominent... Um, commentaries on that, I guess, is from a gentleman named George Ladd, his commentary on the Revelation. So that's a historical premillennial view. For the dispensational premillennial view, um, Charles Ryrie's The Basis of the Premillennial Faith. Um, and I'll try to have all these books, if I can find them, linked in the show notes. Their affiliate links help the show out if you, you purchase through that, but they'll be linked down there anyways. So for the postmillennial view, uh, Lorraine Botner, his book, I believe, The Millennium, and I do believe Lorraine Botner is a him. Forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's a he. Uh, and then for the amillennial view, uh, Anthony Hokema, uh, his book, The Bible in the Future. So those are just resources on the different views. If you want to go check those out, I'm sure there's many, many more you could find, but those are the ones I looked up. So... Uh, just in the vein as well of eschatology for our recommended listening uh, this week, I just went and listened to this myself, why eschatology matters, because I think that's an important thing to talk about, right? So often in American Christian church, eschatology is a, yeah, it's a secondary or tertiary issue. It's not that important, but it does matter. It is important. And again, we should do our best to study it out um, as we can, because it's God's word, it's important. And it's not only that, but it's our essentially our hope for the future, right? Um, and that should be something we consider. So go give that a listen. Um, that video is just one of many videos from a Eschatology Matters conference. So if you go there, you can maybe listen to many other talks on a bunch of other different viewpoints and um, you know, understandings of the millennium, revelation, all that sort of stuff. Uh, I just listened to the one and it was pretty good. So that's what we have today. 
fairly lengthy episode, but I think we had some good topics. We'd love to hear from you guys in the comments. We'll be back again tomorrow um, on the podcast only with our devotional on Genesis chapter 3, The Fall of Man, um, a horrifying chapter in the Bible, but a great chapter in the Bible. And, um, and then next week, again, come find us on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, do our kind of daily shorts there. That'll be on Genesis 4 as we make our way through that. So come find us there. And otherwise, we'll see you guys next Saturday. God bless. Thank you.